This is Horn. Jordan Horn. Welcome to the Point of Learning podcast. Episode 007. Today's show, moments after Thanksgiving 2017, I'm grateful for two of my greatest teachers, my brothers. So whenever I give a talk, if it's a good talk, it's because I've taken the time to set it up with, and I'm talking when I'm addressing a jury, when I'm addressing a judge, when I'm addressing colleagues, whatever it is setting it up with why they should care. Why is this an issue? Why is this urgent? Why is this relevant? That's where the gap was for me, is that, you know, I did pretty well, but why it was relevant, why it connected, why it mattered, why I should care, I don't recall that ever having been established. That was John, the eldest Horn brother. He turns 50 the day this episode drops. Happy birthday, Johnny. And here's Greg, the middle horn, two years younger than John, and six years older than me. Often, the memory that I conjure up first when, uh, when I reflect on my high school years and, and how I spent them, or rather misspent them, uh, with respect to learning and applying myself, uh, I remember the specific, I think it was World Regions class, it didn't seem to have any validity, any relationship to my life at the time, and couldn't figure out how, how, to, uh, how, how to get excited about it uh, enough to apply myself. And so it was really excruciating, and I just remember going like, I, you know, I can't believe they're making us do this. A week before Thanksgiving, I asked John and Gregory to join me at a table in our hometown of Buffalo, New York, to talk about learning, school, education, and music. Here's how I set it up. Here you are, brothers, 21 months apart. Having known you for 42 years, I feel confident in saying you're both wicked smart and capable of learning anything. John, your work as a trial attorney means you have to prepare for cases involving everything from safety features on power tools um, to the proper remediation of radioactive waste. Gregory is a firefighter currently preparing for the examinations that would qualify to make for you to make lieutenant. You're committing to memory voluminous details about how you deal with a wide range of emergency situations. Yesterday morning, I saw a sheet of equations taped to your bathroom mirror that nearly made my brain snap. John, you went right from the high school to the Eastman School of Music at the University of Rochester to study jazz trombone, adjusted your course a little, graduating uh, graduating four years later with a degree in political science. Master's and a law degree followed. Greg, after high school, you played trumpet in the Great Train Robbery an alt-rock band that had a huge local following. I should say you started that as a sophomore in high school. You made money as a carpenter framing houses at first and eventually running your own home improvement and restoration business before becoming a firefighter. 
you elected not to go to college. So my first question for you both, as you look back at it now, how do you think your experience in high school or school more generally affected your decision to choose college or not? Gregory answered first. Well, I, I think the institutional conventional approach for education uh, is, is certainly suitable for some percentage of the students. Uh, the, there is, a, it's a course of one size fit all, fits all approach, um, which uh, of course does not fit every student. I wonder what percentage really it does fit. Um, certainly didn't suit me. What could have been better for well, you? Well, right. So um, the force feeding of it and the pressure of it and the deadlines and um, grades even. You know, I, it's, it's about as free form as it gets, but uh, the degree to which I'm familiar with something called a free school, uh, in theory at least, makes the most sense to me. And it's about the most opposite approach uh, from the conventional um, approach that uh, I can think of. Free schools, as Gregory is referring to them, uh, grow out of an education reform movement in the 1960s and 70s to establish very independent, privately funded alternatives to public education. As one example, the Sudbury Valley School in Massachusetts has been around since 1968. As far as curriculum, students are free to spend their time and learn as they wish. What's your interest? What do you want to learn about? Let's make that happen. Also unusual and appealing to this educator, free schools are often radically democratic, small d. Sudbury Valley, for instance, is run as a direct democracy in which students and staff are equals. The line I was given everybody, and I think I think it was more or less true, was that uh, when I was when I decided what I was going to go to school for, uh, you know, higher education. When I when I figured out what it was I wanted to learn, and when I felt like I was ready to do that, and uh, then I was going to go. There certainly was a time as an adult when I felt like I was trapped in the job, you know, the, all of the details of my life, but the profession I was in and was not able to transition, at least not in, in any kind of easy way. There was, you know, in my 30s or something like that, there was not any easy way to transition and quit my job and go back to school and, and be able to pay my bills and, uh, you know, raise kids and, mm -hmm. you know. All that. John, what would you say for uh, high school? Was it something you uh, considered, you know, not going to college, or was that just going to be the way it was? First, uh, first born son. Go ahead. Right, right. So somehow early on, Dad and I were both on AOL.com, and I was in the graduate program there at Northwestern and was taking an, a, a Greek, ancient Greek something course. And so you had to have a, a passphrase or a catchphrase or something there by which you would be identified to whomever, AOL. Um, and so I wrote the 
unexamined life is not worth living, right? Socrates. So dad wrote back, uh, true, but the examined life is just plain scary. (laughs) (laughs) So we can pick that up later, perhaps, uh, maybe in another podcast. Um, But look, for me, the unexamined life uh, was my life for a long time. And by that, I mean, I kind of did what was laid out for me. Um, I, you know, I, I did pretty well in high school and it was everybody's expectation, I think, and therefore mine that I would go to college just because that was the thing that happened next. But also, I was a trombone player. I really wanted to be a better trombone player. I had spent the six weeks between my sophomore and junior years of high school at the Eastman School of Music Summer Jazz Studies program. That was a transformative period. That six weeks, in so many different respects, changed my life and cemented my love for music and made me know that I could do pretty well in it. Um, So I wanted to go to Eastman, I wanted to be a jazz trombonist. Dad said, on the off chance that doesn't work out, why don't you go to a school uh, that that has a a good liberal arts, good academic uh, pedigree alongside the music uh, credentials? And so Eastman was the choice for me because the U of R was a great school on top of it. But so it, it was kind of a combination of things. It was conforming. It was understanding that, you know, to move ahead in the society in which I lived, moving to that next level and succeeding at that next level was going to lead in some form or fashion to my success, or at least be sort of, in my view, that was the bare minimum. You just needed to do that. If you didn't check that box with an undergraduate degree, you weren't going to reach whatever that next level was. Whether it was going to be music um, or whether it was going to be something else, um, I felt I needed to do it, and I just didn't think a lot about it. It was almost reflexive that I was going to go to college. Um, but also, I loved to learn, and I knew that if I was going to learn more about trombone, one of the ways to do that was going to go was going to be to go to where the masters were um, and where they were teaching really good stuff. And I still feel that way uh, about learning. I mean. Learning is critical. I don't know that it's in formal education where you are going to learn the most. In fact, I'm convinced that there are lots of other places where you will learn gobs more. It leads me into the next question because I want to know, you know, I just, I mentioned the kinds of things. I mentioned a couple of the things that have stuck in my head from cases that we've talked about, you know, just that you have to, as a trial attorney, acquaint yourself. I'm sure sometimes you have to learn some, you know, medical information and or you know, it just depends on what the case is. Um, this is sometimes called just-in-time learning mm. as opposed to just-in-case um, learning, um, but which is what most of school is. So just-in-time learning, you learn it because you need to know it right then. Uh, there's an there's a, a exigent, urgent uh, situation uh, that requires you to, become, to, to master some new material. Do you feel like that kind of learning, uh, you mentioned that you love to learn, but do you feel like the kind of learning that you did in school um, kind of carries over or dovetails into the kind of learning that you need to do when you prepare for a, for a trial and try to get yourself acquainted with a new body of material? Or is it different? Or how do those things fit together? Right. So when I hear Greg talk about 
free school or whatever, you know, that, that notion of your interest really unstructured really unstructured and, and, and your interest being nurtured or facilitated by somebody who's just listening to what you think you want to do and helps you get there um, I immediately recoil to that you know recoil against that in a visceral way and I can't even under, uh, explain fully why that is but just because I feel like you know, in, in, on the one hand, what does a high schooler know? What does a middle schooler know? What does a college student know about what he really wants to know and what he should know in order to succeed in life? And you're taking your cues, you're taking your pointers from people who have been there, so whatever. I recoil against that, and yet I think that there's something really important there because the just-in-case thing is about learning to learn. It's about, you know, a, a sort of foundational set of skills, a foundation of knowledge and understanding and so on and so forth. And I think that's necessary, at least in my case, for me then to be able to get to a case where now it's just in time learning, right? I need to learn engineering principles. I need to sit down with a civil engineer or a structural engineer or a uh, orthopedic surgeon or somebody who's going to help me understand what I need to understand in order to advocate for my client. And I don't think I could do that if I didn't have a certain threshold reservoir of just-in-case learning built up. So I think the two go, for me anyway, go, go very much hand-in-hand. Hand. You're each the father of two amazing kids who I, I can assess impartially in this way as their beloved uncle. All four kids are now in high school. How do you think your own experience with education affects the concerns or goals that you have for your kids in school? Hmm. Well, with both of my kids, I talk about the what I think what I think is a good idea if they have some sort of plan. And so their plan can be college, for example, and sort of a conventional approach. It's now uh, from the perspective of a parent that I am able to advocate for uh, the more conservative uh, general approach of, you know, keeping your options open. What I do remember and what what figures into my perspective now pretty heavily is uh, the degree to which you can be absolutely certain as a eight-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 17-year-old what what you're going to be doing next and certainly as a 17 year old that you have all the answers and uh, uh, at that point um, and other invincibilities inherent uh, to be in that age. Johnny? How you are experiencing school, any of it, affects the ways you think about Brooke and Ava in school. Look, I, what I want for them with education is what I experienced with my formal education. That is to say, the exposure to lots and lots of different ways of thinking about the world and the problems of the world and the joys of the world and, and, and developing relationships. And I think about my time in high school and college and graduate school and law school um, as opportunities for me to develop wonderful relationships and friendships that sustain me to this day, and for me to be exposed to a variety of opinions 
some of which took hold and shaped my life and some of which I rejected out of hand and probably therefore shaped my life in a different way. But being exposed to all of those different people, um, whether they were professors, whether they were fellow students, whether they were people protesting in shanties in the mid 80s and at the U of R, whatever it was, I was caused to think about who I am and what I wanted to do and why. And I think, unfortunately, there's not enough of that in, in our country and our world now, being open to and bombarded with different views. My experience was one of horizon broadening at every successive step of my educational journey. And that's what I hope for for them. You mentioned how motivated they are I to, uh, to study. Does the flip side of that, does the stress, uh, the p- p- potential for stress concern you as you, <laughs> as, you, as you think about them? Yeah, it really does. It really does. Um, they are achieving at what I think, frankly, is an unsustainable clip right now. Um, such that they're certain to fall off at some point. See, I worry about the sort of opposite end of that pressure because I remember it all too well. The, the stress that missing some classes and not doing well in school and having, hang, having homework hanging over your head. Um, that kind of stress and pressure um, I really worry about. There's pressure either way is my, my point, I guess. Uh, either end of those spectrums. Only if you uh, find yourself happily somewhere in the middle. Um, Maybe can you get away from the pressure. Let's talk about, let's talk about music. Uh, Growing up, mom and dad both sang and played piano. Eventually we all sang and played piano. Dad also played a bit of cello. Mom not only played, but taught violin lessons for many years. John, you played trombone, a bit of guitar. Greg, trumpet, guitar, percussion. So you two horn brothers were also horn players, a fact many people found hilarious, but probably drove, Still do. Probably drove me as a little brother to study violin. <laughs> is, is learning music like learning other things well i was going to mention this earlier uh the uh the idea that the internal motivation is ideally the the impetus for all all learning but i recounted many times over the years uh the number of times i would throw myself off the back of the piano bench um hoping to break an arm yeah something i was yeah hoping to be out on the bench, a different bench than the piano bench. Um, <clears throat> but the, at some point, um, and this is the way I think that music learning has been different for me and, and for my son Alex, for sure, is, uh, and I think he had very similar experiences. We more or less made him uh, do cello lessons starting at the age of three. The idea was at some point he it would be his own idea, his own choice. And that has happened. He still plays the cello, not as much as he 
has over the years, but uh, he's he's really taken to the guitar, and that's been almost yeah, it's been a hundred percent under under the his own wind in his sails, whatever the expression is. Yeah, um, if learning could always take place with that much enthusiasm and that much interest, um, that would be the ideal, I think. But again, it's a good example of uh, him needing a, a push or two to get started with that. And, you know, and maybe that's an approach also that you could uh, employ with uh, different endeavors, you know, various endeavors, right? Is it like learning other things? That was the question. Look, I think it is in a lot of respects, right? I mean, if you don't learn basic vocabulary it's tough to communicate at any higher Mm -hmm. or more intimate level you got to learn the notes and you've got to learn how to put together basic sentences so like one of the things that we learned again during that six week uh magical period for me between sophomore and junior year in high school uh, at Eastman School of Music I remember watching the really, really accomplished jazz musicians, high school jazz musicians that I was just wowed by. Um, this one guy in particular, John Bailey, sitting in his room on the floor with his trumpet in his hand and a harmon mute at the end of the horn, and he was listening on a turntable to uh, Miles Davis solo. And he would just he would he would play about eight bars of it uh, on the on the record, and then he would play. Uh, he he'd pick the arm the needle up, and he'd play what he thought he had just heard, and then he would come back and he would play it again. It was a lot harder on a turntable than you know today, right? But the idea was learning from the masters, right, and learning the vocabulary, and then when he hears what Miles does with a particular chord progression he then gets comfortable in his own skin with what he can do, but only after he listens to the masters. It's a combination of skills and aptitude and then something more, right? Just a love, a desire to to reach the next level in that thing. And the people that combine those two things, because the skill without that desire is kind of a dead end. but sometimes the desire without the requisite skills or the requisite discipline to learn those skills, that doesn't get you very far either. Ah, and now I'm, I got to cut in there. You keep talking about music in terms of uh, like being good at it. Yeah. And getting better uh-huh. at it and stuff. Which, and, the, and there's certainly an, a, that approach that you can take with music, but I would suggest uh, that maybe music is a little different from a... Uh, a lot of other disciplines in that it can just be about expressing yourself. It it can it uh, it can and should be for amateurs, you know, uh, for the love of it and uh, for people to just do once in a while or on the spur of the moment or, or you know it's a participation thing. Um, it's an expressing yourself thing. And it doesn't have to be. Uh, the culmination of 
any kind of practiced, disciplined, uh, methodical approach, you know, to get you to that moment with any other particular goal, um, communication, uh, vocabulary, you know, those, those things certainly can be part of and are part of music, uh, depending on your approach, but don't need to be, is my, my view. One of my goals, as you know, that was uh, grand piano in my, baby grand piano in my classroom, um, and one of the, in my English classroom, and one of the things that we would, you know, try to do, um, one of the reasons I brought uh, visiting artists in, uh, like you, like Jonathan Hyam, like Schaefer James, uh, was a, um, artist in residence was to try to disabuse kids of the notion that we can learn internalize very early like you can't sing you know singing's not for you it's for that group of people over there music is for that group of people when of course there's aside from language arguably nothing more fundamental to human societies than music coming up with music and um yeah it it, it it's uh but it can be one of the places where again we apply this uh, the, the you know the the, the upside of an iPod, say, is that you can have any kind of performance you want, you know, right there. Um, the downside is that it's very easy to let other people be the ones who are making music and, and not you because you're, you're not good enough. You're not, the, you're not the pro and you're never going to be as good as, you know, those guys. So, you know, why try? That's not me. Greg, why are you better at percussion than John at me? Objection I <laughs> presupposes an answer. <laughs> Not established. You're better at percussion than we are. I don't know that that's true. And I think I, I, think I just uh, express myself as... <laughs> not, <laughs> not on the table with the mic. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I got your percussion you know, superiority. Because okay. of that face. All right, I take John. a bit. I was about to say, you guys... I'm not better than you, but maybe better than John. <laughs> That's oh, oh. Production support brought to us by Dog Nanny. Uh, Usually maybe. perfect daycare. Stand up. For dogs. Stand up. Home guys. services available for cats. Oh, boy. Well, I've, I've spent some amount of time playing percussion, maybe developing what are typically, typically considered percussion skills but who's better expressing themselves with percussion you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you uh look actually i think you just you you kind of made my my point there a little bit i mean you i think just have a better sense of time than i do now i can hear when somebody's off um i can hear when somebody loses time or picks up time, can't keep it straight. But if I'm left to do it on my own, I invariably will screw it up. And it's because, in part, I just don't think I have the hard wiring. Um, or if I haven't, if, if I have it, I haven't worked hard enough to sort of cultivate it, which is the other thing. You have spent a lot of time listening to it, studying it, working on it, and putting in the time, putting in the reps, leads to a degree of accomplishment, which is what I was saying about music before, right? So 
if you want to be at a level, you've got to put in the work to get to that level. And it doesn't mean that somebody who just does music once in a while can't derive the same level of satisfaction as somebody who does it for a living and maybe arguably derives much greater satisfaction because there's no pressure, you know, to put bread on the table with the music, right? But look, if you want to be good at something, you got to work at it, period. I think it has to do with interest. Uh, you know, certainly people have, uh, every, everybody has areas uh, that they gravitate towards and areas they would consider themselves, you know, sort of less adequate at. Peter's very good at, and I think it's due to his interest and his uh, uh, very good at uh, accents and doing impressions and that sort of thing. I'm horrible at it, and John, you're not so good. <laughs> like, uh, right? Are we going to get right to the part of the program where <laughs> I'm good at a thing? <laughs> no, <to be> <laughs> well, you're good at talking loud when you're uncomfortable. <laughs> you want to make a point? I've heard that a lot so far. I, I, I'm wearing... I've been I've been really aware over the years, uh, uh, and, and I, I'm not the only one that this, this is true of, but that I, I don't know the words to any song, you know, pop songs and stuff like that. There are some people that know every word, and I it, it's not because I haven't heard them as many times as these other people. It's because I don't pay attention. I'm not interested in that. It's not something I pay attention to, and I think Peter pays attention to accents, and I it, and hears them, and hears the details of them in a way that I don't perceive them. And maybe the way that I listen to percussion or the way that I'm interested in percussion is a way that uh, expresses more interest in it than you have in it. You know, maybe you're busy listening to other aspects melodically or, you know, other chord progressions or something like that. And, um, you, know, since, you know, since we're just talking about music and, and those types of things, but... Just a theory. I think it's a good theory. I think it's a good theory. Um, I don't know why it is. So again, now we've reached a thing that you and I are less good at as, uh, you know, than another brother. Um, but I can't remember the words to stuff either. Uh, I mean, there are a few I, tunes. Maybe you're not that interested in it as well. That's my theory, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times, t- too, and this is unrelated, but... That somebody will say, wow, what did you think of that, you know, that we were just looking at? <laughs> and I have no idea what they're referring to, you know, the whatever, the guy had a parrot on his head or something like that, you know. I, I'd like to think I would notice that, but I, I have uh, what I like to consider a gift for being able to focus on what interests me. And sometimes it's at the exclusion of things that don't necessarily capture my as much of my attention at that moment, right? So, I feel like as a, my, as a family, we spent too much time wearing parrots on our head when Craig was growing up. It's just <laughs> like it's not like been there, right? No, I didn't notice them. Is what I'm saying, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so that may or may not be true. <laughs> but as far as what Greg, uh, you know, another thing, Greg's really 
better than you at, John. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just like. Was there a subtitle for this podcast? I wasn't. I write them afterwards. I so see. I see, see how it shakes out. But I, Alex, I, I'll take. It's better than John at <laughs> this for. One that. Well, walking it, but walking into a room and checking out, like, or a restaurant and just seeing, like, with the top, you know, checking out the tile, like, how the place is put together. Yeah. Like, oh, this is, you know, just, you know, you, we'll be talking about something. We'll look around. Greg's just, you know, uh, like, looking around, checking out the room. And he's like, yeah, this this is an addition right here. Or, like, oh, you know, yeah. this well, place burned down, you know, at some point, you know. Or was, the drywall seams are making my skin crawl. Yeah. And, Right. And Johnny's like, what's drywall? You know, not really, but, you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I walk into a room and I, I notice what they have on tap and who's in the room. Who's in the There, There you go. Connector? Psh. I'm a big connector. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think that my success in my career has every bit as much to do with uh, my interest in and affection for people and helping them get where they want to be, which invariably involves introducing them to uh, the folks they want to be introduced to or maybe can benefit from being introduced to. And so I'm always looking at that when I walk into a room. So now it would be a good <laughs> idea to say, Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. That was awesome. Let me let's do it one more time. I'll turn it on. (laughs) Well, that's it for this Thanksgiving edition of Point of Learning. My great thanks to my brothers for sharing a little bit of the ideas, music, banter, and firm but loving disagreement that marked so many mealtime exchanges around the table when I was growing up. Special thanks to Johnny for embracing what turned into a little bit of a birthday roast toward the end there. My niece Jordan represented her talented brother Alex and cousins Brooke and Ava, all of whom make music. Uh, She played the Sarah Bareilles chord progression and song you heard midway through the episode. John played the rest of the piano parts. Gregory was on trumpet. I did fiddle. Also, a little bit of Gregory's song So Uncivilized was featured when I was talking about his time playing in the Great Train Robbery. Thanks, as always, to Schaefer James for intro and outro. And to you for listening, sharing, and please subscribing through iTunes. There's one more holiday edition of Point of Learning on tap for next month with a Victorian take on what and how and why we learn. Back at you then. What's the coolest thing you ever learned how to do? Uh, taxi whistle without putting my fingers in my mouth. Scuba diving. I think it's real cool in that, you know, we don't belong down there. And so, uh, it's, it's pretty cool that somebody figured out how to, under the water. We people don't <laughs> belong we down. We people don't belong, don't belong at the bottom of the ocean. Well, we figured out a way to be there. Right. Yeah, we figured we'd be there and not belong there. <laughs> well, this belongs anywhere. I'm sorry. Ask, ask anybody else you run into down there if you belong. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really think so. I, I there know. are a lot of places I wind up on a daily basis where that could be asked. Sit, Ubu, sit. Good dog. That's going to That's the plug. <laughs>